0: Tonight we continue our story, A Voyage to the Moon, by Edgar Allan Poe. At ten o'clock, feeling sleepy, I determined to lie down for the rest of the night. But here a difficulty presented itself, which, obvious as it may appear, had escaped my attention up to the very moment of which I am now speaking. If I went to sleep as I proposed... How could the air in the chamber be renewed in the meanwhile? To breathe it more than an hour at the farthest would be impossible. Or even if this term could be extended to an hour and a quarter, the most ruinous consequences might ensue. This dilemma gave me no little anxiety, and it will hardly be believed that, after the dangers I had undergone, I should look upon the business in so serious a light as to give up all hope of accomplishing my ultimate design, and finally make up my mind... "'to the necessity of a descent. "'But this hesitation was only momentary. "'I reflected that man is the slave of custom, "'and that many things are deemed essential "'which are only the results of habit. "'It was certain that I could not do without sleep, "'but I might easily bring myself to feel no inconvenience "'from being awakened at intervals of an hour "'during the whole period of my repose. "'It will require but five minutes to renew the air, and the only difficulty was to contrive a method of arousing myself at the proper moment for so doing. The question caused me no little trouble to solve. I at length hit upon the following plan. My supply of water had been put on board in kegs of five gallons each, and ranged securely around the interior of the car. I unfastened one of these, and, taking two ropes, tied them slightly across the rim of the wicker work from one side to the other, placing them about a foot apart and parallel so as to form a kind of shelf upon which I placed the keg and steadied it. About eight inches below these ropes, I fastened another shelf made of thin plank, on which shelf and beneath one of the rims of the keg a small pitcher was placed. I bored a hole in the end of the keg over the pitcher and fitted in a plug of soft wood, which I pushed in or pulled out until, after a few experiments, it arrived at that exact degree of tightness at which the water, oozing from the hole and falling into the pitcher below, would fill the ladder to the brim in the period of sixty minutes. Having arranged all this, the rest of the plan was simple. My bed was so contrived upon the floor of the car as to bring my head in lying down immediately below the mouth of the pitcher. It was evident that, in the expiration of an hour, the pitcher, getting full, would be forced to run over, and to run over at the mouth, which was somewhat lower than the rim. It was also evident that the water, falling from a height, could not do otherwise than fall on my face, and awaken me even from the soundest slumber in the world. It was fully eleven by the time I had completed all these arrangements, and I at once betook myself to bed with full confidence in my invention. Nor in this manner was I disappointed, Punctually, every sixty minutes, I was aroused by my trusty clock. When, having emptied the pitcher into the bunghole of the keg and filled the chamber with condensed air, I retired again to bed. These regular interruptions to my slumber caused me less discomfort than I had anticipated. And when I finally arose for the day, it was seven o'clock and the sun was high above the horizon. I found the balloon at an immense height indeed and the earth's roundness had now become strikingly manifest. Below me in the ocean lay a cluster of black specks, which undoubtedly were islands. Overhead the sky was of a jetty black, and the stars were brilliantly visible. Indeed, they had been so constantly since the first day of ascent. Far away in the northward I saw a thin, white, and exceedingly brilliant line or streak on the edge of the horizon, and I had no hesitation in supposing it to be the southern disk of the ices of the polar sea. My curiosity was greatly excited, for I had hopes of passing on much farther to the north, and might possibly, at some point, find myself directly above the pole itself. I now lamented that my great elevation would, in this case, prevent me from taking an accurate a survey as I would wish. My condensing apparatus continued in good order, and the balloon still ascended without any perceptible change. The cold was intense, and obliged me to wrap up closely in an overcoat. When darkness came over the earth, I went to bed, although it was for many hours afterward broad daylight all around me. The water clock was punctual in its duty, and I slept until next morning soundly, with the exception of the periodical interruptions. April 4th, I arose in good health and spirits, and was astonished at the singular change which had taken place in the appearance of the sea. It had lost in a great measure the deep tint of blue it had hitherto worn, being now of a greyish-white and of a luster dazzling to the eye. The curve of the ocean had become so evident that the entire mass of water seemed to be tumbling headlong over the abyss of the horizon, and I found myself listening on tiptoe for the echoes of the mighty cataract. The islands were no longer visible. Whether they had passed down the horizon to the southeast or whether my increasing elevation had left them out of sight, it is impossible to say. I was inclined, however, to the latter opinion. The rim of ice to the northward was growing more and more apparent. The cold was by no means so intense. April 5th I beheld the singular sight of the sun rising while nearly the whole visible surface of the earth continued to be involved in darkness. In time, however, the light spread itself over all, and I again saw the line of ice to the northward. It was now very distinct and appeared of a much darker hue than the waters of the ocean. I was evidently approaching it, and with great rapidity. I fancied I could again distinguish a strip of land to the eastward, and one also to the westward, but could not be certain. April 6. I was surprised at finding the rim of ice at a very moderate distance, and an immense field of the same material stretching away off to the horizon in the north. It was evident that if the balloon held its present course, it would soon arrive above the frozen ocean, and I had now little doubt of ultimately seeing the pole. During the whole of the day, I continued to near the ice. Toward night, the limits of my horizon very suddenly and materially increased owing undoubtedly to the earth's form, which is round but flattened near the poles. When darkness at length overtook me, I went to bed in great anxiety, fearing to pass over the object of so much curiosity when I should have no opportunity of observing it. April 7th. I arose early, and to my great joy at length beheld what there could be no hesitation in supposing the northern pole itself. It was there beyond a doubt and immediately beneath my feet. But alas, I had now ascended to so vast a distance that nothing could with accuracy be made out. Indeed, I estimated that at four o'clock in the morning of April the 7th, the balloon had reached a height of not less than 7,254 miles above the surface of the sea. At all events... I undoubtedly beheld the whole of the Earth's diameter. The entire northern hemisphere lay beneath me like a chart, and the great circle of the equator itself had formed the boundary line of my horizon. April 8th I found a sensible diminution in the Earth's size. Besides a material alteration in its general color and appearance, the whole area partook in different degrees of a tint of pale yellow and in some portions had acquired a brilliancy even painful to the eye. My view was somewhat impeded by clouds near the earth, but nevertheless I could easily perceive that the balloon now hovered above the great lakes in North America, and was holding a course due south which would soon bring me to the topics. This circumstance did not fail to give me the most heartfelt satisfaction, and I hailed it as a happy omen of ultimate success. Indeed, The direction I had hitherto taken had filled me with uneasiness, for it was evident that had I continued it much longer, there would have been no possibility of my arriving to the moon at all, which revolves around the earth in the plane of the equator. April 9th. Today, the earth's diameter was greatly diminished, and the color of the surface seemed hourly a deeper tint of yellow. The balloon kept steadily on her course to the southward, and arrived at 1 p.m. over the Mexican Gulf. April 12th. A singular alteration took place in regard to the direction of the balloon, and, although fully anticipated, afforded me the very greatest delight. Having reached, in its former course, about the twentieth parallel of southern latitude, it turned off suddenly at an acute angle to the eastward, and thus proceeded throughout the day, keeping nearly, if not altogether, And the exact plane of the moon's path around the Earth. April 13th. Great increase in the Earth's apparent size. The moon could not be seen at all, being nearly above me. I still continued in the plane of the moon's path, but made little progress eastward. April 14th. Extremely rapid decrease in the size of the Earth. Today I became strongly impressed with the idea that the balloon was holding the direct course which would bring it immediately to the moon, where it comes nearest to earth. The moon was directly overhead, and consequently hidden from my view. Great and long-continued labor was necessary for the condensation of the atmosphere. April 16th. Today, looking upward as well as I could, through each of the side windows alternately, I beheld at my great delight a very small portion of the moon's disk protruding, as it were, on all sides beyond the huge bulk of the balloon. My agitation was extreme, for I now had little doubt of soon reaching the end of my perilous voyage. Indeed, the labor required by the condenser had increased to such a degree that I had scarcely any respite from exertion. Sleep was a matter entirely, a question. I became quite ill, and my frame trembled with exhaustion. It was impossible that human nature could endure this state of intense suffering much longer. April 17th This morning proved an epic in my voyage. It shall be remembered that on the 13th the earth had diminished. On the 14th it had still further dwindled. On the 15th a still more rapid decrease was observable, and on retiring for the night of the 16th, the earth had shrunk to small size. What, therefore, must have been my amazement on awakening from a brief and disturbed slumber on the morning of this, the 17th, at finding the surface beneath me so suddenly and wonderfully increased in volume as to seem but a comparatively short distance beneath me, I was thunderstruck. No words can give any adequate idea of the extreme, the absolute horror and astonishment with which I was seized, possessed and altogether overwhelmed. My knees tottered beneath me. My teeth chattered, my hair started up on end. The balloon, then it actually burst. These were the first ideas which turned through my mind. The balloon had burst. I was falling falling with the most impetuous, the most wonderful velocity. To judge from the immense distance already so quickly passed over, it could not be more than ten minutes at the farthest before I should ever meet the surface of the earth and be hurled into annihilation. But at length reflection came to my belief. I paused, I considered, and I began to doubt. The matter was impossible. I could not in any reason... "'have so rapidly come down. "'Besides, although I was evidently approaching the surface below me, "'it was with a speed by no means commensurate with the velocity had at first conceived. "'This consideration calmed my mind, "'and I finally succeeded in looking at the matter in its proper point of view. "'In fact, amazement must have fairly deprived me of my senses "'when I could not see the vast difference in appearance between the surface below me "'and the surface of my mother earth. "'The latter was indeed over my head "'and completely hidden by the balloon, "'while the moon, the moon itself in all its glory, "'lay beneath me and at my feet. "'I had indeed arrived at the point "'where the attraction of the moon had proved stronger "'than the attraction of the earth, "'and so the moon now appeared to be below me, "'and I was descending upon it. "'It lay beneath me like a chart.' and I studied it with the deepest attention. The entire absence of ocean or sea, and indeed of any lake or river or body of water whatsoever, struck me at the first glance as the most extraordinary feature in its appearance. April 18th Today I found an enormous increase in the moon's apparent bulk, and the evidently increased velocity of my descent began to fill me with alarm. I had relied on finding some atmosphere at the moon, and on the resistance of this atmosphere to gravitation has afforded me a chance to land in safety. Should I prove to have been mistaken about this atmosphere, I had nothing better to expect than to be dashed into atoms against the rugged surface of the Earth's satellite. And indeed, I had now every reason to be terrified. My distance from the moon was comparatively trivial, while the labor required by the condenser was diminished not at all, and I could discover no indication whatever of a decreasing rarity of the air. April 19th. This morning, to my great joy, about nine o'clock, the surface of the moon being frightfully near, and my fears excited to the utmost, the pump of my condenser at length gave evident tokens of an alteration in the atmosphere. By ten... I had reason to believe its density considerably increased. By eleven, very little labor was necessary of the apparatus, and at twelve o'clock, with some hesitation, I ventured to open the car a little and suffered no inconvenience. I finally threw aside the gum-elastic chamber and unrigged it from around the car. As might have been expected, spasms and violent headache were the immediate consequences of an experiment so rash but this was forgotten in consideration of other things. My approach was still rapid in the extreme, and it soon became certain that although I had probably not been deceived in the expectation of finding a fairly dense atmosphere, still I had been wrong in supposing that atmosphere dense enough to support the great weight contained in the car of the balloon. I was now close upon the planet, and coming down with a most terrible rapidity. I lost not a moment accordingly, and throwing overboard first my ballast, then my water kegs, then my condensing apparatus and gum-elastic chamber, and finally every article within the car. But it was all to no purpose. I still fell with horrible speed, and was now not more than half a mile from the surface. As a last resource, therefore, having got rid of my coat, hat, and boots, I cut loose from the balloon the car itself, which was of no inconsiderable weight, and thus clinging with both hands to the network, I had barely time to observe that the whole country, as far as the eye could reach, was thickly sown with small habitations, ere I tumbled headlong into the very heart of a fantastic city, and into the middle of a vast crowd of ugly people. I turned from them, and gazing upward at the earth so lately left, and left perhaps forever. He held it like a huge, dull copper shield, fixed immovably in the heavens overhead, and tipped on one of its edges with a crescent border of the most brilliant gold. Sometimes you just want to get away, in the worst way. How far would you go to leave your surroundings? Would you go to the moon? Would you build some sort of apparatus in your garage? If you're building things in your garage, you might need supplies. Might I suggest you get things from a good supply store? Like Amazon, it's in the name, from A to Z. Everything you need to build a makeshift balloon and go to the moon is right there at Amazon.com. Enter BBJ and the promo code and it will do absolutely nothing, because this is not a sponsored read. I would like to remind you that we are always on the hunt for great stories to read. You can email them to me, bigvoicej at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to give us a review on iTunes. helps to spread the word that we're putting people to sleep every night of the week. Thank you so much for listening. Night.